Well, welcome to the Cup for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay, and it's just me this time on the episode because Eric, um, aside from being an engineer and a podcast host and a you know leader in the church, uh, he is also a farmer, um, and the uh, crops need to get in the ground, and so he is planting um, as we are during our normal recording time. But uh, um, so Eric is not able to join us this week, and so you just get me for a little bit um, here today as we dig into some. Sunday's sermon um, based on the walk to Emmaus, our last in our series of sermons based on the road to Emmaus and the story of those disciples walking alongside of Jesus. Um, And on Sunday, we focused on the idea of sharing the mission. Um, There's all kinds of lessons that we've been learning from Jesus about how we share the road with other people and how sometimes sharing the road means getting uncomfortable. I mean, as you think about sharing the road with someone, as I think about going on a walk with someone, the way that these disciples were walking alongside of Jesus. Like I think of the sidewalk problem that we always have. And we're running when we're walking with more than two people, we take up an entire sidewalk or maybe even more of the entire sidewalk. And it always feels like I have to get a little bit squishy and a little bit uncomfortable um, to really to really invite people to share the road with you, um, to invite that in that that community in the midst of a walk. And so um, we started with that idea of these two disciples on the road having this deep conversation about what's just happened when a third person wants to enter their conversation. Um, I talked on Sunday about how the disciples had a decision to make based on what they had all experienced. Um, but I think there were decisions to make at every single step in this in this story and every step, single step of this journey. The disciples, when the when, when the unknown traveler just approached them and asked them what they were talking about, they had a choice to make. They could have chosen to tell the unknown traveler, hey, we're trying to have a private conversation um, and we don't want to be bothered. I mean, that, that was an option available to them. That's not an option that they chose. They chose to invite this strange person into the conversation with them. Um, even as they were sharing their story, they could have chosen to leave some of it out and they chose not to. They chose to tell the whole story. Um, And then in response, the unknown traveler, who is Jesus, offers them an alternative view, offers them, well, what we would call the truth, offers them the story of how Jesus unifies the story, um, how the Old Testament really does point to the ministry of Jesus, and then how the gospel that unfolded, the story that unfolded, really proclaims the, the the divinity of Jesus, really proclaims the fact that there is something holy and otherworldly going on in this story of Jesus. And then, you know, for us on this side of the walk to Emmaus, on this side of the creation of the, you know, the rest of the entire Bible, like we can see how Jesus is that unifying force that ties the Old and New Testaments together, how, it, how Jesus impacts how we read the entire rest of Scripture, and especially how we look to the writing of those in the New Testament, how those those New Testament authors really are interpreting what Jesus was about and how it, how it is that we're supposed to live in the light of Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' life and ministry. So, yeah, but I mean, as the disciples walked alongside with Jesus and as, as, as they're hearing what Jesus has to say, they didn't have to listen necessarily. I mean, they... They could have just assumed, said, well, that's a nice story, but, you know, we're going to stay with our understanding. We're going to stay in our hopelessness because that is a choice that we can make. 
Um, and then as Jesus is in, you know, pretending to go on, they could have just said, okay, well, thanks for ruining our time on the road. Bye. And then just then and missed out on the entire point of the story because the whole story builds to the table. The whole story builds to this meal movement where Jesus goes from stranger to guest to host and takes on the role of the host in the meal and in so doing reveals himself in the breaking of bread. The disciples could have made a choice and missed that. And then as Jesus disappears from their sight, they could have just chosen to sit on the information. They could have chosen to, like I mentioned on Sunday, they could have chosen to just stop and wonder. They could have stopped to process. They could have just, you know, missed the entire point of it and not not taken the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach them. Those are all options that are afforded to these two disciples on the road, but yet in the goodness of God, in the mercy of God, these things work out in the way that they're supposed to, in a way that leads to a greater sense of understanding. The way that I left it on Sunday was for us to consider what it means for us to be willing to share the same mission because we've just been through Easter, we've been through Holy Week, we've been through all the emotion of Holy Week, the hopelessness, the suffering, the, the pain of Jesus. We've been through this time called Eastertide, and now we're looking towards Pentecost, towards the day when we're really empowered to go and do the work that Jesus has called us to do. And really, the question for us is, what are we going to do in the light of what we've learned? What are we going to do with the lessons that have been taught to us in this story? And so, as I left it on Sunday, who is it in our lives that needs good news? And how can we be the ones to share that good news, to spread that gospel message? And yeah, evangelism is a big and hard and scary word, but it's an important word. And it's an important topic and it's an important action for us to undertake because it is, as the Apostle Paul said in the book of Romans, how is it that people are supposed to learn if no one's there to teach them? How are they supposed to know if no one's going to tell them? And that is really, truly up to us. So I mentioned on Sunday that I am an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. And one of the things I thought might be interesting uh, is to dig back into a little bit of why I made that choice, um, because that was a choice that I that was afforded to me. And part of the like, part of my reason why has to do with this story of, of the walk to Emmaus. Part of it has to do with how is it that I'm going to share the mission. Um, and the choice that I made was to share it with the rest of my entire life, basically, because I'm ordained and there I can not really picture a whole lot that would make me rethink um, that decision. But I was thinking today about why it is that I made the choice to be an ordained person, because there are many different paths to ministry in the United, in the United Methodist Church. Um, first, you can serve as a layperson. I mean, like I said on Sunday, it is not up to ordained people to serve the church by ourselves entirely. We are in this together in ministry, and so we need lay people in the lives of our church to do the amazing things that lay people do, uh, to serve the church in the ways that they do, to uh, to serve on committees, to be our you know to 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 be delegates to annual conference, to uh, just find ways uh, to find needs in the life of the church and fill those needs and and be a vital part of the ministry of the life of the church 
as lay people. I mean, every pastor that you'll talk to started as a lay person. We didn't just automatically become pastors. Um, we felt a call. We felt a nudge. We felt a push from God. We felt the affirmation of those around us, and we entered into this, but it all started as serving the church as a lay person, um, and that is an amazing, amazing thing to be. But also, um, if you are fostering a call to ministry, if you're feeling a nudge or a call to, or, or, or something like that, um, do not hesitate to have that conversation with, with someone that you love and trust, and if that's me, that's wonderful, but if it's someone that you love and trust that can affirm that in you, um, please have that conversation. It, it's such a powerful moment to really live into our call. Um, the guy, and I've mentioned a number of times and in different sermons, God has a call on all of our lives, and some of that leads to pastoral ministry, but a lot of it doesn't. But God does have a call on on, on your life and on my life, and I answered the call of God, and I, I found my way to where I am now, and I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, and just want that for you as well to live faithfully into your call. I mean, there, there, there can be situations, and there are situations in our conference where lay people um, are really leading churches and are doing the work of ministry without, you know, not without support and not without accountability, but also without, you know, the the same level of credentialing. Um, and that's a valid form of ministry in our in our denomination. People are called by God into this work. And sometimes that doesn't look like the path towards ordination. Sometimes that does look like serving a church for a while and not being under the the bonds of itineracy like we are as ordained elders. Um, we take a vow towards itineracy to move where the conference sends us. And sometimes itineracy is hard. Um, and so there are some that serve as um, as lay supply pastors, um, and there's a certification process that pastors can go through or that, that lay people can go through to become certified lay ministers. Um, there's a couple of in our conference that, that do do that work. Uh, they do a lot of pulpit supply and some other things to serve the church, and they can be, in, in certain situations, they can be appointed um, to, to serve churches in the same way that I am as an ordained elder. Um, that's not the only path to ministry. Um, that's not the only path towards being uh, being a pastor. There are also pastors in our conference called licensed local pastors uh, that go to licensing school, um, and then they are appointed to serve a church. But uh, the the difference is is that if they were to at any point decide not to serve the church that they're appointed to, they are no longer considered to be clergy um, in, the, in the United Methodist Church. Uh, it's not a it's not a forever thing like the, like ordination is. Um, and so, uh, but there are, especially in a conference the size of the, of the Dakotas, there are people that serve as licensed local pastors that go to licensing school, that that get a credential in that way, and then are appointed to serve by district superintendents and bishops. Um, and there are licensed local pastors that will serve their entire career in, in ministry as licensed local pastors. We are a conference that is small enough where that can be a thing that happens, and that's a great thing. There are amazing, uh, fruitful pastors that are doing the work of of licensed local pastoring and and they have in several different contexts throughout our conference and so I really appreciate uh, licensed local pastors or LLPs um, when I was uh, first appointed to Brookings um, in 2012 I was a licensed local pastor um, I was two thirds of my way through seminary so I didn't have to go to licensing school um, but I have a friend of mine from seminary that did go to licensing school and she thought it was even worth more than some of our seminary classes uh, no shade to my seminary professor if you listen to the podcast, but uh, um, it is a it's a what licensing school do, 
does is take you through some of the nuts and bolts of ministry even better than a theological school can because at a theological school there is still there a little bit more of an academic expectation um, that does sometimes distract from the practical practice of ministry. Um, you know, there was a class in seminary that uh, was supposed to be kind of our practical class, but got changed right before my semester. And so my first time during doing a funeral, I had to ask my funeral director an awful lot of questions. And I had to reach out to other pastor friends of mine and say, hey, how do I do this? And what are my expectations here? And that would have been answered in that class, but it got changed. But that because a friend of mine went to licensing school, um, she knew what was what was kind of coming and kind of knew how to handle things um, because of licensing school, even more so than what we learned in seminary. Um, and then there is the umbrella of ordination. Um, in the United Methodist Church, there are two different ordained offices. Um, those are elders and deacons. Um, I am an ordained elder in the life of the United Methodist Church. Um, I was commissioned as a provisional elder in 2013 when annual conference was up in Bismarck and then ordained as a full elder when annual conference was in Sioux Falls in 2016 at Sioux Falls First United Methodist Church. And that's how it works across all our conferences in the United, in the United Methodist Church. The thing that is determined by our conference, in particular the Dakota's conference, is how long that time of provisional uh, time lasts, uh, basically. Um, our governing document is called the Book of Discipline, um, and the Book of Discipline mandates that the provisional time be at least two years, but our, our Dakota's conference um, has extended that to a third year. So I was commissioned as a provisional in 2013, and I, when I entered what was called provisional residency, which is an awful lot like med school residency, where you, I mean, you're still doing the work of ministry. I was appointed to serve the Brickings Church and had all the rights and responsibilities of serving that church as their associate pastor. Um, but then I also was a part of these residency trainings. So every six months I was on uh, one of our campsites, uh, either Lake Ponset, Storm Mountain, or Wesley Acres, um, doing uh, training uh, with other people that are working in the similar, uh, in, in in that three-year provisional time. Uh, our focus was on Bishop Robert Schnazy's book, The Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. Um, and so uh, so there were six residencies, five practices, and so there was one day that was focused mainly on uh, worship leadership, um, even even more intensely than the Passionate Worship chapter from, from, from the five practices. But ordained elders, um, like I mentioned on Sunday, uh, share a common mission. We share a common ministry, a ministry that is focused around the Word of God, so being a steward of the Word of God, preaching, teaching small group Bible studies, you know, proclaiming the Word of God with our lives, uh, administering the sacraments, uh, so we have access to be official people that can um, baptize uh, children, um, and then also um, serve the Eucharist or serve communion, um, and then also order the life of the church. And so we are um, in, in charge of ensuring that the, the church does function in an orderly, orderly fashion, um, and then also a life of service. And, and then the other group of ordained people in the United Methodist Church are our ordained deacons. And so deacons are more called to service ministries. Uh, they are ordained. They have a shared mission as well. Their work is more around being stewards of God's word. So doing pulpit supply, uh, preaching in, in other contexts, um, you know, teaching the word of God in different ways. 
service, compassion, and justice. And so what will often happen with our ordained deacons is that there will be an area of ministry where they're passionate about, um, and then they will serve predominantly in those areas. One of our ordained deacons in our in our conference uh, was very focused and very passionate on educational ministries, and so um, her entire ministry was marked by being in educational ministries throughout a lot of different churches. Uh, she was a part of a clergy couple, and so um, her husband would serve a church, and she would either serve that church as well, um, either on staff or as a volunteer, or or she would work at a nearby church. Uh, she was a curriculum writer and uh, just did an. Uh, a lot of awesome work uh, in a lot of different churches in, in the areas of educational ministries. And so uh, those are the main paths to ministry in the United Methodist, United Methodist Church. Um, I chose to be ordained um, for a lot of reasons, and a lot of reasons pertaining to a book that I read in seminary by one of our bishops named William Willimon, whom I've mentioned a couple of different times uh, from the pulpit, but he has an entire book called Pastor, um, and it all digs into um, his, theology of orda- or- his theology of ordination and, and how that works with uh, with, a, with the scriptural framework. Um, and so I had made that decision to be ordained, I mean, mainly because that was the area of ministry I was the most exposed to. Um, I mean, I, my, the church that I was a part of growing up was served by ordained folk. Um, and so when it started, when I started feeling called to ministry, that was kind of the direction that I was moving towards. Um, and then just uh, by studying what it meant to be ordained, um, how ordination is the work of God in someone's life. Uh, ordination is a particular calling. Um, ordination is a collegiality of uh, of sorts as well. And so belonging to something bigger than myself really appealed to me, um, you know, not just in the life of the church, but also in my life of ministry, uh, to know that I'm a part of a network of people, that I'm a part of a group of people that, you know, I have conversations over instant messenger or Snapchat with other ordained folks because it was ingrained in us at a new, a new pastor's orientation back in 2012, um, that ministry is better when we do it together. And there are people that are out there in the same battles that I'm in in the life of the church. So to know that I'm a part of an order of elders um, really does make a huge difference for me as a pastor, um, really does make a huge difference for me as an ordained pastor. Um, and so, and then also another big part of it was the uh, was access to the sacraments. Um, as I've mentioned a couple of different times and as kind of got um, really on display during the season of Lent, uh, communion means an awful lot to me. And so being able to preside over a communion, to be the voice that, that presents that meal to people that really welcomes people in uh, to a to a meal where all are welcome uh, really means a lot to me in ministry and so uh, sacramental access was a big deciding factor on whether I would stay a licensed local pastor um, or be ordained because when you're a licensed local pastor you can serve the sacraments as long as they're in connection to that ministry of that church um, like if I were to be at a church camp as a licensed local pastor I could not serve communion because that's not my church that's that's the church camp but I'm an ordained elder now, and so that's never that has not been an issue. Um, every camp that I do um, does celebrate communion together um, because I just don't know what uh, people have experienced. I don't know what their what their experiences in their in their local churches have been like if they have a local church. Um, but I know that I can stand before them, and no matter what we're teaching, that all lends itself very well to to being a part of of communion. And so I can stand before them and really proclaim the love of God 
God as it's made known in Jesus Christ and as the love of God is made known in the sharing of bread and the sharing of the cup. Uh, that's why the Emmaus story means so much to me. That's why we did this. I mean, it was kind of a, a natural progression um, from our Lenten series being so focused on the table to digging really into a, a story that builds to the table. That's uh, not uh, and The entire story is not about the table, but it really is the high point. It really is the climax. Um, and so just uh, now we go forward and now we wonder at what it is that God will have us do as a result of this series. And I'm just really excited to see what's going to happen next here in the life of the church. Um, and so thanks for being a part of our Walk to Emmaus story uh, series. Um, and just I'm excited to see what God's going to do as a result of it. How we will be invited to to get squishy and to get uncomfortable and to consider uh, consider bigger stories and, and then also to consider how we share the mission. Um, and so... Looking forward to how that unfolds next. But next week with our sermon series concluded and then our kind of the way that our calendar works, we're not going to dive right back into another series, but we're going to be looking at some of Jesus' final words before his death. We're going to be digging into the high priestly prayer that he gives in John chapter 17 and following. Um, but really the focus is going to be on John 17 um, and Jesus' prayer specifically for his disciples. Um, Jesus, you know, prays to God on behalf of his disciples, you know, just kind of giving thanks to God for the ministry that that they've been able to share and the things they've been able to accomplish and and how that's all worked in their lives. Um, and now as he is preparing to leave, he prays for them. He prays that they'll have the strength to stay committed uh, to the work of ministry. He prays that they will be one. Um, and so we'll be digging into some of the claims and clauses of that prayer as we uh, prepare ourselves for uh, Pentecost, which is on May 28th. And so just looking forward to how this next sermon will unfold. Um, and then during the summer, we'll be doing a sermon uh, sermon series focused on songs. So some of one of the... Uh, uh, we'll be we'll dig more into this later, but I just kind of want to tell you now. Sermon series are going to be focusing on for most of the summer is going to be on songs. I put a post on our church's Facebook a couple days ago about you know having people just give us what their favorite songs are, and then I'll be looking at that list and listening to those songs and thinking biblically about them, uh, even those songs that are secular. Uh, so it should be a really really fun series to put to, to put together. Um, but uh, but in the next couple of weeks, we'll be digging into some other stuff first. But uh, looking forward to all of it here at the Canton United Methodist Church. And just uh, thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode. Uh, we'll be back to normal next week um, and then moving forward together uh, throughout the rest of the summer. But uh, go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.